Welcome to season two of the Gamers Change Lives podcast. In season one, we learned about entrepreneurs and others around the world who were creating jobs and opportunities through esports. The one common theme throughout the season was that it takes money to create jobs and change lives. But let's face it, money can be hard to find, especially in some parts of the world, maybe in your part of the world. But this season, we are going to share stories from esports entrepreneurs in emerging markets and showcase how they found funding they need to be successful. We're also going to talk to investors in Africa, Asia, India, who have invested in esports and highlight the challenges that those markets face. In addition, we're going to talk about sponsors who provide funding to teams, tournament organizers, and streamers. Join us on this journey for season two of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, aptly titled Follow the Money. And now your host, Tom Leonard. Hey there, I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Now, when it comes to esports, I'm definitely not the expert. I'm more the explorer. The goal behind the podcast is to hear from esports entrepreneurs and others about how esports can create jobs and maybe inspire others to do just that. Our tagline is play games, great jobs, change lives. Now, in season two, we're talking with experts in, in sponsorship, in investment, in merchandising, all the ways that an esports entrepreneur can make money because it takes money to create these jobs. We call this season Follow the Money. Today, I'm really honored to have Mohammed Karar, who's talking to us here. And um, he's a venture partner at Launch Africa, which we're going to hear all about. Welcome, Mohammed. Thank you, Tom. Nice to be here. So where are you speaking to us from? Uh, right now, I'm in Cape Town, South Africa. Got it. Got it. Now, are you, um, do you, is that where you live? Do you spend most of your time there or do you spend some of your time here in the U.S.? Um, I do spend a lot of time in the U.S., um, usually three months or so out of uh, San Francisco or the Bay Area, um, and, and, and the same for South Africa. And the rest of my time is kind of divided around the continent. Um, uh, some of the other big chunks are in Egypt. Egypt tends to be a, a big market for me in the, in the firm to cover. Um, and then also Sudan uh, is my home country where my family lives. Um, and obviously all over the continent as well as I do source a lot of deals on the ground. Oh, it must be a lot of fun. I mean, you can see all kinds of places for it, for a reason. So, and I'm sure that people like to see you show up. <laughs> yes. Yes. Usually, usually entrepreneurs do, do enjoy it. Yes. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about how you got into, um, we'll talk about launch Africa in just a minute, but how about yourself? How did you get into venture capital? How did you get into financing? Um, yeah, so I didn't study finance um, or anything really related in, in, in college. I actually went to school to become an engineer. I studied industrial engineering. Um, and, and throughout my college career, I, I did a lot of internships and, and then co-ops and really took my time to get some work experience. Um, so first, it started working in, in, in your traditional engineering setting, um, kind of an aerospace contractor to the U.S. military um, and then eventually uh, transitioned into consulting, still within within the engineering field, um, and then um, eventually ended up in, in Goldman Sachs, um, and, which kind of gave me just the basic knowledge of finance, so on and so forth. Um, eventually, I met someone. I met a venture capitalist. Um, his name is John Henry from from Harlem Capital, when they were starting their own firm 
um, just a few years ago. And, and, and once I realized what venture capital was, I knew that, that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and after a kind of a year of just telling everyone around me and my networks that, hey, I want to be a venture capitalist and, and maybe in Africa, you know. Um, after a while, I was connected to uh, Zachariah George and, and Janet Duplessis, who are uh, the general partners at Launch Africa. Um, at the time, they were just starting Launch Africa, um, kind of doing it as a side hustle for myself and, and for a lot of people on the team now. Um, and I ended up joining them uh, alongside my, my colleague, Kartik, um, and, and we were the first hires. So um, it's really amazing to see how the firm has grown within the last um, two or so years. Um, and I'm really grateful to be here. So what was it, I think that's really interesting, what was it that you said, you saw VC and you're like, hey, that's something I want to be doing. What was it about the industry that was really attractive to you in particular? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there, there's a lot of very interesting things about, about VC. I mean, one thing is that as someone, as, as an early, in my, in my early 20s, I wanted, I was very curious. I wanted a lot of exposure to a lot of industries. Um, and VC did give me exactly that. I get a lot of insights into markets. Um, the, the other thing is that I was able to kind of live in the future and, and, and see into the future um, with technologies. You know, when, when we're doing due diligence, when we're looking at these products, when we're meeting with these entrepreneurs and, and, and companies, we actually try as much as we can to use um, some of the things that they are building, um, and especially in, in areas where VCs are able to invest in, in deep tech and and kind of um, really technical new products, um, you get to live in the future a lot of times. And, and I thought that was very fascinating. That's a great, that's a, I'm going to remember that that term, live in the future, because it, it really does make sense. I mean, because that's what, uh, that's what you're doing. You're not investing in things that were, were popular back in the 90s. You're, I mean, that, that was someone else's job. Is it common for people to go from consulting into venture capital? Um, it is common, but in general, I think I've seen people from all sorts of background go into, into, into venture capital. Um, you know, especially if they're going to go into a VC firm that invests in a, a sector focus, if you are coming from that sector, um, regardless of where it is, I mean, if, if you're going to work at a VC firm that invests in educational technology, your background could be a teacher and it would be just the right fit, right? Um, and, and, and the same thing for consultants. So consultants are, are largely generalists, so, so they can um, end up in, in generalist fund. Or if they were sector-focused, then they can end up in the sector-focused. And uh, I'm sure it does help, but it's not the only way. Yeah, I remember ta- we were talking to Dave Harris in Australia, and he was talking about working for BCG. And he was like doing all this mining work. He was like, it was like you know, he, thought, he thought, well, how is this ever going to apply to anything uh, in the future? sort of thing. So, but you said that you, you didn't have a finance background, but now you're in the finance world. Where did you learn to the finance side of things? Yeah. So the finance side of things I learned um, throughout internships at Goldman Sachs um, in, in, in the U.S., um, that's where I really learned. But one thing that I, that I learned at Goldman Sachs is that actually none of the people who do study finance end up, end up learning what to do once they get on the job. Maybe they will have kind of 5%, 10% um, background or idea of what's going to happen. But for the rest of it, practically, you do learn on the job. 
Um, so at least for Goldman Sachs, when, when they were doing their hiring, I mean, I've had peers who came, who studied art history. I've had peers who studied Latin in, in college, right? Um, and for the most part, they didn't really quite care what you studied as much as they cared about you being someone who can work in, 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 in such an intense environment at times uh, or people who can take feedback um, without having their ego interfere to be able to learn and, and, and progress further in their role. Um, so these were some of the qualities they were looking for. Um, and, and, and for myself, I found that to be very true. Uh, someone not from finance background, I did go into Goldman Sachs and ended up learning so much about finance um, generally. Um, when it comes to venture capital, you you don't really, there's not really a course study for venture capital um, yet. I, I mean, I don't even think in, in postgraduate or in graduate schools, um, there's anyone really teaching venture capital quite yet. Um, so even for VC, I mean, it doesn't even, it doesn't even matter, you know, what you study anymore. Um, but some of the similar qualities I've seen um, breaking into traditional finance are, are the same ones I see here in venture capital. What you're describing is, sounds a lot like what you do when you are, when you were talking about identifying people, the, the Goldman Sachs people, for example, in your example, you're saying, well, they were looking for people who had certain qualities. And it sounds a lot like the same kinds of things that you're look, probably looking for in founders. It's like the, the kinds of terms that you were using. I can just see you, you, you being able to like, oh, yeah, this is, uh, this is going to work. No, this, one, this person is not really coachable. It's like, no, they're just going to take everything uh, in, in the wrong way and everything. Is that, do you find that there's some similarity there? Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. I mean, if, if you're making a startup, the odds are you are not going to figure it out the first time, right? Um, it's going to take some humbling along the process. Um, and if you can internalize that well, uh, then you are likely going to progress. So when, you're, when, you're, when a venture capitalist is, is, is looking to invest in someone, do you, are you investing in the founders as much as the concept? Yeah, so it depends. It depends on the stage of of investment, right? So if you're investing in the very, very early stages, then the the founders and the team themselves hold a lot more weight in the decision making. Um, if you're investing in the later stages, in, you know, Series B, Series C, Series D, so on and so forth, um, the team still still does make a difference, but not as much as now. You have um, a lot of data from the business, a lot of technical metrics to follow. Um, so in the industry, people always say, um, you know, in the early stages, it's more of a, an art than a science. And in the later stages, it's more of a science than, than an art. Um, but throughout the spectrum, both of uh, both are, are still equally viable. Could you describe, um, you're just saying all kinds of great things I want to write down. Um, could you describe a little bit of the whole investment pro- uh, ecosystem out there? Because you're talking about seed and venture capital and all this. And, Mainly, you know, for my education, as much as anyone else's in the audience, can you just kind of describe what, what who some of the players are and what roles they occupy? Okay, and, and some of the investment process, yeah, between founders, yeah. I mean, um, so when when VCs and founders come in contact, um, there there are quite a few a few ways. So either a VC finds a, a founder and they reach out, or a founder reach it out to a VC or someone in the network in the ecosystem is usually referring or introducing someone to another person, which, which usually tends to be the case. Um, sometimes we'll see, we'll see companies, um, 
you know, whether on their social media or, or on websites or on news articles, and then and we may reach out. Um, but there are really a lot of ways that they can come in contact with each other. Um, so the way the process goes is we'll usually have an introductory call. Um, and, and even before the introductory call, we've likely reviewed the pitch before we can have a call. Um, I wish we can take calls with every founder that, that we like and, and, you know, we look at the pitch deck that comes our way. Um, but that's not feasible as, um, you know, at least for us, we're, we're a generalist fund. We invest in the early stage and we invest all over the continent, which opens the floodgates to, you know, founders who, who want to raise. Um, so we try to look to, at as, as much as we can. Um, but the ones we get the chance to look at, we have an introductory meeting. Um, if it goes well, then, then we'll probably have another meeting with follow-up questions. Um, and, and these are usually just with one VC, the one that, that has found the deal or sourced the deal. Um, and, and if they get through the second meeting um, where some of the follow-up questions are answered, um, then I'll bring on the rest of our team and, and, and um, we'll start talking. We'll get access to the data room. Um, we will review everything. And then um, if they go through our pipeline reviews, um, every time that we filter to make it smaller, uh, we'll take them to investment committee. So investment committee is where we make the decision on investments. Um, we'll have an investment committee that has members um, who are very experienced in a variety of sectors. Um, and they kind of watch over us as, as we make decisions for the protection of our own investors. Um, so this investment committee will usually happen uh, for us every six weeks or so. Um, and we will bring uh, maybe six to eight deals in total. Uh, so in, the, in that period of six weeks when we're, when we're deal sourcing and including some of the other deals that maybe didn't make it to previous investment committees, um, these are hundreds and hundreds that we go through and filter out uh, until we get to the very few who that, that will end up in the investment committee. Um, but in general, the whole process usually doesn't take more than that six weeks kind of uh, uh, period if the startup is ready. Who's usually, and I'm not trying to get inside information. I'd, I'd, I'd where you work, but typically, who's who's on the investment at a venture capital? Yeah, so so this this depends um, usually yeah, on, on certain, the VC. But I guess the reason I'm asking here is like you know if you think if you're a founder and you're like okay you know someone's like said yes and they're you know you're going through the 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 thing it's like uh, you're going through the yeah. the pipeline as you just you describe it it's like but really it's the investment committee is the decision maker right because th- yeah. they're the ones that in the movie business, give the green light to um, to the project. Yeah, yeah. So they do give the they give the final check. Um, the VCs are the ones who will bring the deals and who will um, you know take you to the courts. But the investment committee um, have the right to veto any investments that, that uh, you know that we want to make at the very end. And 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 throughout their experience, they they know that this is something that might be challenging or doesn't quite fit our mandate. Um, the investment committee, uh, for us, is public information. If you go on our website, you will find all of our investment committee members um, and all of our team members. Um, for some for some uh, VC firms, the investment committee is in-house. Um, so we'll just be the partners um, and, 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 so, and the team itself. We'll just kind of vote on the deal. Uh, for other VCs like us, we have an investment committee um, that is a little more removed from the team. Um, and w- which we like because it, it, it kind of adds an additional layer of accountability to the investments that, that we make. So it, no, what's interesting here is because the way the concept is, it's like your role as a venture partner there is to go out and find deals. I mean, you're, you're, you're looking for opportunities. It's not like you're, you're trying to say no to everything. 
it's like, no, you're trying to find things that, that, that you, you think will be, be a good deal and things that, you know, you can move further down the process internally. So it's like, I mean, you're looking for winners. I mean, you're, you're looking for good deals. Yeah, yeah, 100% I'm looking for good deals. I mean, you know, in the VC model, we are not looking for average returns. We are looking for a few home runs, right? That, that's, that's how VC works. The reality, the reality of venture capital and, and startups, you know, most startups are going to fail. Um, the overwhelming majority is going to fail, and that's okay. Uh, because the ones that do make it, they make it at such an, at, at such an outsized scale. Um, but for us as investors, we are not looking for, uh, you know, good startups and, and get an overall good average return on investment. We are looking for a few home runs that will just, you know, startups that just knock it out of the park. And um, that's what really provides outsized uh, returns on, for, for VCs and investors. How many, how many deals do you do a year? How many deals do we do a year? Um, so we've been investing for two years now, and we have done just around 125 deals. Wow. Um, so a year we are doing, you know, 70, uh, 60, 70 deals. Um, so more than one a week. We are the most. More than more than one a week if you average them out, yes. Um, but we are kind of a special case, and, and we are the most active investors on the, on the continent right now in terms of uh, early-stage startups. Um, and, and we do, we are more active by quite a margin than, than the rest of other VCs. Um, we were able to raise quite a bit of funding, um, and the investment period, you know, it, it remains the same for, for, for our fund. Where does a venture capital organization, where do they get their money? Yeah. So we get our money from our investors are called LPs, which stands for limited partners. Um, so our limited partners, uh, they come from all over the world. Um, we, we, we get a nice chunk from, uh, from Africa here on the continent. We get a nice chunk from Europe, uh, from the U.S., uh, from the Middle East. Really, it's, it's all over a mix. Um, here in Africa, a lot of VCs tend to get their, their monies from DFIs, uh, kind of like the, um, the IFC. What, what's what's um, a DFI? Organization. A DFI, it's a direct foreign investment. Um, but I guess, I guess the acronym doesn't quite really um, show the kind of organizations, but, but it's like the IFC, you know, to, or, or like the World Bank or um, some of these development um, agencies or, or like Proparco in France, so on and so forth. Some of these development agencies who are interested in the development of the continent will, will invest in, in VCs um, so that they can deliver money to um, or deliver capital to, to, to startups. Um, Globally, globally, and, and especially the really established VCs who've been investing in a while can get their money from from pension funds, um, from their investment strategy. Um, for us, our, our, uh, when it comes to LPs, most of them are just H and Is, which are high net worth individuals or family offices. Um, it, it, for for our fund size, relatively globally, relatively, we're a small fund, um, and so it's a lot easier to raise from high net worth individuals and family offices as you know, they can deploy anytime at will. Whereas uh, some of these larger institutions, um, it might take a few years to, to raise that kind of capital. Um, whereas for us, it took significantly less time to raise as, as we're dealing mostly with, with um, individuals and or family offices. Um, but we do have uh, some people who represent organizations. A lot of them, um, they're like, okay, we want to invest through our organization. It's going to take some time, and it might be your second fund. 
Um, but we will invest in our personal capacity to kind of keep tabs on startups and technologies that are coming out of. Um, but, but there are a few organizations. We have um, other other um, VCs who do fund funds, usually the ones who invest in the later stage. Um, sometimes they will have a, a bit of capital that they will invest in another fund um, just to kind of cover some some uh, some of the early stage investments so they can track when they get to their stage and, and they'll be able to invest in them. Um, and uh, as well as um, uh, we have a bank uh, based out of Germany that, that had also invested in us. Do some of the uh, governments, the, the, the actual uh, governments of countries in Africa it, do the same kind of investing? Um, yes, but that's, that's more of a new thing. Um, and I only know of two examples right now, um, of, of, um, ingressive capital with the Nigerian sovereign wealth fund and, um, Silicon Badia, um, in the in, in, in Egypt, um, with an investment from, from a Tunisian, uh, fund of funds. Um, but I think, I think it will be, it will be more increased. So, so right now we are raising for our second fund. Um, and we are engaging with a few governments um, here on the continent and in, in the Middle East as well, um, who may potentially um, come on in. But but this is something that is still new. Um, yeah, but it, but it's exciting. I'm usually they'll invest through uh, sovereign wealth funds or or just kind of um, investment arms for the government. Yeah, that's one of the things you read about so much in esports is how much the uh, Saudi Arabia government there through their different organizations are putting an incredible amount of money to esports as an example and other other or uh, other countries are doing similar things that Saudi Arabia just seems to have more money to uh, to walk, walk in with so they get the, the most the attention which um and, and they they've also been mining some really really big names out there so but but it's interesting because they kind of planted their flag it's like yes this is a road we want to go down it's not like oh let's just yep. make a couple of little investments it's like no, this is uh, esports is something that they are going to uh, be involved with over the long period. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, uh, you know, we will see a lot of more, a lot more investments coming out of the Middle East, uh, just due to the nature of the economic um, situation we have globally right now. Um, so usually, your traditionally your LPs when they when they invest in venture capital fund, they will liquidate some of their public market stocks. Um, which are not doing really hot right now. So no one is, is looking to sell. Um, but in the Middle East, their source of funding usually isn't public market stocks. Um, it will be from other things that are um, not so much uh, affected or maybe a little inelastic to uh, the, the price of public market stocks, especially U.S. stocks at, at, at the time. Um, so, so I will see a lot more VCs, especially in, in, in our region, you know, focus on raising funding from the Middle East. No, it's just, it's just interesting because it's like, you know, you, it's this balancing act. It's like, you know, you, you, someone there has to go out and get the money. Someone has to figure out where to, where to give it sort of thing. And that's, that's, that's the role of that, that everyone, everyone does if, if it, if it works, if, if it works out well. Do, um, that's great. I wanted to talk a little bit more specifically about Launch Africa, but because you have such a, a great story there with what you guys are doing with Launch Africa. What kind of inf- um, investments are you making? Uh, so we make early stage startup investments. Um, anything before Series A um, is usually what we say, but we do have a couple opportunistic Series A investments. 
Um, we are sector agnostic, so we haven't invested anything um, between marketplaces, fintech, health tech, and short tech, um, gaming, um, and, and really anything in between. Um, we invest in Africa, so we invest in, in any African country. We're truly pan-African with about 21 countries so far. Um, and, and some of those countries, we are the very first VC investor in the history of the country. Um, so, yeah, we're sector agnostic, early stage. Um, you know, the startup has to be scalable, asset line, um, and, and, and all those other uh, you know, usual things to find from VCs. When you talk about asset light, what does that mean? Um, so asset light means that if you need to scale, you don't need um, a lot of buildings, a lot of equipment, a lot of machinery, um, uh, or, or even cash. Cash is, a, is an asset, right? You don't need a lot of cash to scale. Um, so things like software, for example, um, you know, they can scale very easily across borders um, and, and people without much infrastructure. So that's what, what we mean when we say asset light and scalable. Got it. Got it. So what do you look for in a particular investment that's going to get your attention? Do you, are you looking for a particular size, time in operation? Are they making money? Are they good founders? What, what, what mm-hmm. kinds of things are, are the things that you're looking for? Yeah, so, so, so there's a lot of things that differ based on uh, the sector and, 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 and the business model um, that can be evaluated differently. But, but there are some general things that we look for. Um, obviously, as BCs, we're looking for home runs. So we want, we want startups that are addressing a very, very large market size, um, right? So every once in a while, we'll see that there are some startups who are targeting a market size that is not that large, that even if they, you know, even if they conquer half of the market size, it's not quite um, a venture scale type of returns. So we are looking for really, really massive markets that even if you only penetrate less than 1%, you are uh, going to be quite a successful company. Um, other than market size, we're looking for the timing of the market as well. Um, so there are a lot of examples of this. Um, you, know, you know, a few years ago, Vine was really popular as, as the short form. Um, video social media um, and they closed their doors and then now you have TikTok you know who hit just a little better timing with the uh, with the pandemic and 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 now they're a, a very successful company um, so timing of the matter of the market market works out a lot um, in terms of the heavy regulated industries you got like fintech or insurtech or health tech um, the licenses go a long way having having a, a license by or approval with the regulator that you can do this in this very heavily regulated space. Um, other things that matter are if you're doing POCs, concepts, or pilots with, uh, with companies, lar- especially large companies. Um, if you are a B2B or a B2B2C startup. Um, in general, we do prefer B2B startups over B2C because it's just a little easier to scale um, and a little easier to exit. Um, and, and those are usually the ones that are uh, winning first or, or advancing first in the kind of frontier markets or in a lot of Africa. Um, and then we, we're looking at the founders. Um, we're looking to see if there will be co-investors who go into the round with us so that we're not the only investor supporting um, the startup. Um, and we're looking, you know, usually this is not always the case, but usually we, we want to invest startups that have revenue that is recurring in nature. Um, so not all revenue is created equal. 
Um, if you if you're having one off kind of revenue agreements or um, kind of invoices that are that are just one time or kind of consulting agreements, that's not the same. It doesn't have the same value as, as a recurring subscription type of revenue. Um, and yeah, these are these are some of the general things that uh, we can look at across sector. How important is the regulation side of things in in the the deals that you've been doing there? Is regulation, do you think, a, a bigger deal in Africa than maybe in other parts of the world that you're familiar with? Yeah, so regulation is quite a big deal. Um, I would say not just Africa, more so emerging markets, pan-emerging markets. Um, you, you know, in the U.S., the attitude towards startup is a little different, even even than, than other countries in the West, is that the law in the U.S. is set up in a way for technology that if it's not, if there's nothing about it, if it's if it hasn't been discussed and it's not addressed in, in, in the law or any policy, then you can do it, right? Oftentimes in, in the markets outside, it's the opposite, right? Um, it's that if it's not in the law, if there's no policy about it, then you can't do it until it's addressed, right? Um, and, and, you know, for innovation to happen, a lot of startups do operate in the gray area and there are success stories of that, but there are also horror stories of that. Um, where startups have to shut down because the regulators have finally caught up uh, uh, with the policy and and, um, and and just kind of shut down or decided that what they're doing is not okay with them. Um, but these days things are changing. So uh, we work a lot with a lot of um, policymakers and regulators across the continent um, to make sure that, you know, they are aware of what startups are doing um, in our portfolio or, or outside of it. Um, uh, that they're okay with it or, or to kind of understand the trajectory of where the regulation is headed and, and if it aligns with it. Um, so the communication is a lot better now and there are startup acts that have been enacted, um, you know, across South Africa and, and, and recently in Nigeria and and, uh, and the DRC, Senegal, Tunisia, et cetera. Just think of how complicated it gets. I mean, how complicated it gets if you're dealing with the regulation in one country, but then you said 21 countries. And each one is going to have just a little different wrinkle that that could make or break what it is that you're doing. And so, a founder that comes knowing the regulation in their in their particular universe has got to really be appealing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most definitely, most definitely. If if they're having, um, especially at the very early stages, if they're having um, their licenses in, in heavily regulated industries, it goes a long way for us, and it's quite attractive. What kinds of questions do you ask a founder that comes to you? What are the kinds of questions they should expect from a VC um, starting out? Um, well, it, it, usually the questions are quite contextual, um, depending on on uh, on what, what we're looking at. You know, I, usually when they're pitching, I'm getting so curious about different things that they're saying. Um, but uh, some of the kind of questions are, you know, fall in line with the same things as uh, what I was saying earlier to what we look for in investments, right? So are you licensed in a regulated, if, if, if they're in a regulated environment? Um, what kind of revenue? Who do you get it from? Do you get it from businesses, from small businesses? Do you get it from customers? Um, well, you know, what's, what's the cost of acquisition of the customer? What's the lifetime value of the customer? What's the ratio of that uh, um, to each other? So do you have room to scale? Uh, what's your runway? What's your burn rate? How much money are you spending per month? Um, if you raise this amount of money, how long will it last you? Um, what are you planning to do with it? Um, you know, where is your holding company? 
which other investors are you discussing with? What are your markets of expansion? So there's a lot of questions that um, obviously we go through with our founder. Um, there are some checklists that, that uh, we'll run through to to ensure that some of the, the basic things are met, um, but usually they're very contextual. Yeah, I remember listening to uh, Zachariah George talking on another podcast, a Stanford podcast, and he was saying, if he's talking to someone and their answer is, oh, I'll have my finance person get a hold of you. He said, that's <laughs> that, that's not the answer that he was, yeah. he was looking for with them. So what, what are the kinds of questions that you'd like to hear the founders asking you? That I'd like to hear the founders asking me? Um, um, it's always really nice if, I ha- if, if there's a founder um, that we have invested in that has found some kind of um, s- some kind of point of synergy or a way that they can collaborate with another portfolio company so that they can partner with each other um, or so that they can cross-sell to each other or offer services to each other. Um, I, I, I think it's quite impressive, you know, if, if they're looking at our portfolio and then they know that there's benefit to all three of, of entities um, and, and they're the ones creating that initiative. Um, so for us, we do have a, a portfolio team and um, our portfolio team is constantly looking for linkages in our portfolio um, and between our investors as well, um, and, and how they can collaborate and, and mutually benefit each other. Uh, so sometimes the startups kind of pick up on their own, and, and it's always been interesting. Do you organize it in a way that they can they can connect with other um, other organizations in your portfolio? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, so they know. I mean, our, our profile is it's publicly available on our on our website. Anyone can take a look at it. But yes, our founders do develop um, a sort of community um, within them. Um, uh, and, and, and there are investments that we have made where, in addition to the kind of economic prospects of, of the startup, um, we are also backing the startup because of what they can offer to our portfolio um, in, in a kind of privileged or incentivized access. Um, so, so we, you know, we're... We're a high volume fund. We have a very large portfolio. So we want to make sure that portfolio is not made up of random companies, that it is constructed and that it is um, allows for growth within each other. Um, so we've kind of created like a, a like just a tiny um, ecosystem within our fund. Now that makes a great, it makes, makes a lot of sense because if someone's already in Zambia doing something, when someone else is going to do some, something in Zambia, it's like, hey, go talk to this person. It's like they, they, they know, you know, depending on, on the mm-hmm. industry. It's like they're going to be ahead yeah. of it, uh, ahead of it there. So, um, how in how involved is Launch Africa in the startup itself? Because, like we always say, you're not just writing checks. It's like mm-hmm. so. So, how much interaction w- would a founder find in after doing a deal with Launch Africa? Yeah, so so that largely depends um, on the founders. So some founders have on their cap table a lot of investors um, that are institutional. Some founders have less founders, uh, um, institutional money and maybe more angel money, and and so they they would like a little bit more help. Um, but some founders already have you know very healthy support systems, so we um, end up needing to support them not as much as some of the other founders. Um, but for us, you know, we're always available. So to help us as much as you need. So there are founders that I will talk to on, you know, quite a regular basis. Um, so, uh, sometimes daily, if, if, if they're going through something, 
um, you know, whether good or bad or, or sometimes weekly, depending on the kind of support they need. Um, you know, but, but, but we, we try to, we try to create an environment where founders can be vulnerable with us, um, uh, you know, so that we can, you know, quickly address anything that, that needs to be addressed and, and not make the founders feel like, you know, they only have to share the good news with us. Um, so there are opportunities in the weaknesses itself, but only if we, if we create an environment where we allow founders to share with us, uh, will we be able to address things. Um, and, and, you know, usually for us as VCs, we have a lot of access to, to a lot of things, um, whether it be extra capital, co-investors, um, you know, relationships with, with regulators or advisors, um, or, or, or just data across our portfolio into expansion and, uh, and, and, and methods into reducing CAC and, and, um, and access to talent as well. Yeah, I remember uh, a long time ago, t- working for a really smart finance guy. And he was like, always tell the bad news first. Tell the bad news, he said, and save the good news. He said, save the good news for when you need it. He said, but always tell mm-hmm. the bad news right up front. So uh, yeah. that was that that was really good advice. Now you were saying, I think we were talking offline, saying that um, you didn't do the deal, but Launch Africa has done esports investments with uh, with an organization I think called Skirmish. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. My yes, my my colleague uh, Kartik led the, an investment in Skirmish. What What do you think? What was attractive? And not not to get any details about Skirmish in particular, but but the industry. Why, why was uh, getting involved in gaming uh, attractive for Launch Africa, do you think? Yeah, so so we are trying to invest in um, innovative technology and we are trying to diversify out of it. Uh, like many VCs, you, you know, the, the largest sector in our portfolio overwhelmingly is fintech. Um, and we are trying to look into, into, into creative ways we look at. So we have invested in a couple of media companies, um, like Amp or, or Limitless Studios that does animations. Um, and now we have gaming. So for us, it feels like a natural kind of evolution in, in the portfolio to have a gaming startup. Um, but there are also now, um, some, some healthy precedents for gaming in Africa with, with Carrie First, um, who, who has recently, you know, closed a, a major round with, uh, um, with really good investors as well. Um, the other thing is that, um, you know, Kartik on our team is a gamer. Um, and, and when he found it, he was just excited about it himself. Um, so, you know, I game as well. I, I, I play FIFA and I play Rocket League. And, you know, I'm looking at the startup and I'm like, I would actually use this. You know, I, I, would, I, would, I would quite enjoy it. I, th- I think that's how it started is that, um, you know, we have a couple gamers on our team and, and one of them noticed the startup and, and, and just said, you know, I think I'd, I'd, I'd use this. So I'd want to look into it. Um, and then we ended up investing in skirmish. So, so people aren't as excited about health tech or FinTech, but, but when it comes to gaming, it's like the, the, the passion can kind of come through a little bit. Yeah. 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 I mean, everything has their moments under the sun, right? It's very, it's a very fast moving industry. Um, where we're favorites and, and, and less favorites, you know, get picked up and dropped uh, quite often. Um, you know, last year you'd see a lot of startups doing the NPL by now pay later, and it was kind of their moment under the sun. And now that's starting to fade away a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same with crypto, same with, and so yeah, I mean, I, I think gaming will have its time. It's a very large market that is not very much addressed, especially here in Africa. And gaming is probably something that also is able to scale. When you're talking about wanting to, to 
come into investments that that can go big places. Yeah, yeah, I think I think gaming, you know, has the ability to scale. Um, there are going to be some challenges around its scaling, some infrastructural challenges. Um, you know, gaming, online gaming requires quite the bandwidth um, that is not present in a, in a lot of places um, in Africa. Um, but that is starting to change, um, you know, in, in real time right now. Um, so, so I think it will become easier and easier to scale gaming as, as, as time goes forward. That, yeah, and that kind of leads us to the next section. I want to talk a little bit about in the short time that we have talking about Africa in particular, because Launch Africa is just doing such great things in, in a very specific market out there. And and uh, are you the largest VC in uh, that's specializing in Africa? Um, I well, I think if, to measure the size of a firm, you know, usually it's by kind of assets under management. So the late stage investors will have the most assets under management just because they're in an investment sphere. Um, so as early stage investors, um, I think we are one of the largest. But if we look at it in terms of amount of deals done, um, and, and our check size is around up to three hundred thousand dollars with an average of two hundred and fifty. Um, it's a good size check. It's a, it's a healthy size check uh, from VC on the continent. Um, and in numbers of deal, we are the largest. So we have the largest uh, portfolio by number of startups count. Could you talk a little bit about the difference between, because you're talking about you're, you're paying after you're, you're all over Africa. Could you talk a little yeah. bit about how Launch Africa looks at North Africa versus Sub-Saharan Africa versus South Africa? Um, well, we don't look at it any differently. So they that's, can that's be a part of the, that's a good answer right there. Yeah. 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 We, we, we try not to look at it very differently and, and we try not to assume that the startups there will take any expansion route. Um, that's the usual. So sometimes, you know, North African startups from Egypt, you know, you know, the expectation usually is that they will expand into the GCC, into Saudi Arabia, into the UAE, so on and so forth. Um, um, similar thing with Tunisia and Morocco, but they also, you know, can have the ability to expand north into, into Europe. Uh, but we don't make that assumption. We have some Tunisian startups that, you know, from day one, they want to expand into sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and, and, and these are kind of some of the startup profiles that are not usual on the continent, but we like to back them, um, first as, as they don't usually get the attention, but, you know, very valid, um, and, um, and promising startups. Um, the markets can differ a little bit. Um, you know, the consumer profile in, in terms of regulation um, and culture. So for myself, um, so I'm a venture partner in the fund and my main responsibility in investing, I'd, I'd say maybe around 80% is just North Africa. Um, I'm a native speaker of Arabic and I understand the culture a little bit. Um, and, and it can impact things like um, in fintech, for example, um, in the Muslim world to be Sharia compliant. Um, you know, we don't do interest rates. It's something that we just don't do interest rates. Um, and, and that often sounds unusual to investors who are not quite familiar with it. Looking at fintech and, and um, if you're targeting a certain population that is majorly Muslim, you know, you don't want to have interest rates in there. Um, and, and other things that make it very compliant. So, so they do they do differ a little bit, but we try not to. Look, we try to keep a pan African lens. No, no, that's good. So, what would you say if you were telling people about what are the what are the challenges of doing VC um, investing in Africa versus versus in, here in the US or in Europe or in one of the the other markets out there? What do you think the challenges are there that you that you work against? <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so for us, we we like the frontier markets and we like going into, into new countries outside of the big four. Um, going into these markets, it's a little harder to um, find co-investors to close the rounds with. Um, thankfully, we've been we've been able to do fine, but we do recognize that it takes a little bit more effort um, as compared to you know what I would assume in the, in the West is maybe a little a little easier um, easier journey. Um, but on the, on the same side, it also uh, changes our ecosystem a little bit. Whereas um, maybe you know in the West, um, there's a lot of competition for deals, and and that kind of can lead into a little bit of toxicity in the ecosystem. Whereas for us, um, there's not enough investors for the kind of pipeline of startups that there is, and so it leads for a more collaborative um, uh, deal making space. Um, you know where we're saying, hey, we found this amazing startup. I can't wait to share it with you and and you know, really anyone who's interested, and then um, and then and then we can decide who who goes into this round. So it does make it a little bit more collaborative, um, but but definitely there's more space for um, investors to be to be coming on. Hey, that that's great. I, I want to wrap up here so we don't take your your whole morning there, my whole night here. But hey, Mohammed, really appreciate you taking a little bit of time here to talk about investing, especially investing in um, Africa. And particularly where you're starting to um, branch out into gaming. I mean, you know, there, there's all kinds of people that are interested in in uh, in knowing more about that. So, so where, where can people find you online? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can also find me offline at a lot of the the tech conferences that are happening around. Um, and and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of virtual events that go on as well that, that I attend. Um, I try to be on Twitter, but it is, it's not a, it's not as natural for me. Um, but you can find me on there as well. I, it, it, do they get a special deal if they say they found you on uh, Gamers Change Lives podcast? Um, they'll get a high five and a pat on the back. <laughs> that's that's all. That's all we're asking for. Hey, again, appreciate your time. This is the Gamers Change Lives podcast, season two. Follow the money. Thanks, Mohammed. We'll talk to you again. Thank you. My pleasure. You've just heard the Gamers Change Lives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed, do so right now so that you can stay up to date with episodes as soon as they're uploaded. And so you can hit the ground running on changing your esports adventure forever. You can also visit us at GamersChangeLivesPodcast.com. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks for listening.